Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Howdy. Man, that was pretty good, you guys. Are you awake and ready to go? Uh, well, introductions first, right? I'm Dallas Bivens. Uh, I was raised in Phoenix, uh, where my dad was a pastor. Uh, I saw a lot of nasty things in the church. Can you imagine a church with nasty things? And so, man, I ran from God. And I went to Texas uh, for college and just loved it. And I had, uh, as you can probably tell, huge appetites. And boy, I exercised every one of those. And then at the age of 21, I've been a Christian for years. But at the, tw- at the age of 21, God came and said, I need you back. And uh, man, I turned everything over to him. Um, my wife is Becca. Say hi to Becca. And uh, Beck and I met, we were college pastors at San Diego State University back in the day. We hated each other, could not stand each other when we met, oh my goodness. And then she fell for me pretty hard. Uh, Guys, laugh when I tell a joke, but not if I don't. And uh, so we've been married, what, 22 happy years. Uh, We've been married 30 years, but 22 of those have been happy. (laughs) You complete me. Uh, I've got three kids. Uh, One is uh, Rick. Say hi to Rick. Uh, Rick is on terminal leave from the Air Force starting yesterday. So for the last seven years, he's been at uh, Nellis and Creech Air Force Base in uh, Las Vegas. And he is enrolling in school at Arizona Christian, uh, what, in a two weeks, three weeks, whenever it is, and is a football player. So he's a 27-year-old freshman, and uh, man, it's good to have you. Uh, I've got a daughter who is um, 23, wow, and uh, she's been married... Seven years, six years, uh, lives in East Tennessee. Some of you, whenever I say that, uh, all of the women go like this, and the guys are going, what? Um, I think I told someone this morning, uh, the young man came to us and said, I think we need to date, I think I need to date your daughter. And after talking to him, we're glad they just started dating our daughter. So we signed her off early. Uh, she just graduated from Liberty University in her counseling degree now she's in the master's program there they work at the Virginia Baptist Children's uh, Home uh, in Virginia they live in East Tennessee but work in Virginia and uh, man she's just happy as all get it they live on a 20 or 30 acre farm with six or eight head of cattle and wild horses and goats and dogs am I missing anything chickens rabbits you know the whole bit so anyway that's Cameron And then the third one, yeah, you can clap. Cameron's not here, so we can do it. 
Then there's a Brock. Say hi to Brock. Uh, Brock is 19, and uh, Brock is a bowler at Arizona Christian. And uh, yeah, there's a bowling team. If any of you guys know anyone that is a competitive bowler, or if they just like bowling, uh, we've got two teams, kind of a uh, get you prepared kind of a team, and then a, a collegiate team. So if you know anyone, uh, we've got good scholars. By the way, I'm his bowling coach, so talk to me afterwards if you know. You got grandkids or kids that want to go to, to school at the best Christian university in Arizona. It's Arizona Christian University. Um, so let me know. Uh, Brock is a bowler. He's the second-ranked um, freshman in the country right now, number five in the western U.S., and he bowls next week in the year-end uh, Las Vegas tournament for JBT. Anyway, that's Brock. Um, Brock, um, Brock is a cancer survivor. He's a Make-A-Wish kid and a St. Jude's kid. So, yeah, Brock's pretty good. The kids have always asked us since they were young, um, do you have a favorite kid? And we always say, no, we don't. We do have a least favorite, but we don't have a favorite. Um, man, I am so happy to be here. Uh, Dustin is one of my favorite students. And I still remember the first time he walked into the office years ago in Scottsdale. And we just had an instant bonding. Uh, he's taught for me before. Uh, taught a class on um, biblical manhood and sexual purity. Oh, probably four or five years ago. And then uh, Dust and I led a, uh, the college, all the college kids get together for a once a year a big deal, and, uh, and we uh, did that as well, that conference together. So Dust and Amy, we just saw them Thursday or Friday, Friday, down in Tucson. We were down there at the, um, at the event, at the Pastors and Wives Retreat. You've got a great pastor. He's a good man. And, um, yeah. Good guy. All right, so a couple of questions as we begin, because I've got 10 o'clock. How long does Dustin preach? 15 minutes. Who said that? Oh, Lord. Whoever, whoever's over there needs to scoot away, because God's about to 15 minutes. Because I've got three sermons. I heard a laugh over there. Three of them. And uh, they're going to be pretty cool. Uh, they're going to be very short. And if you give me about half an hour or so, um, I really want to talk about some things. One is my son's out of the military, our firstborn. Uh, he's a lot like me, um, hard-nosed, a jerk, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, he's a military guy, and now he's coming into civilian life and all that. The other part that drives the sermon today, um, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the world out there is a mess. Have you heard about this COVID thing, this sickness that's going around? Uh, elections, politics, just all sorts of stuff out there. And um, we need mighty men and women to stand up for God. Uh, we need to be uh, obedient repent of our sin, and uh, have the Lord use us. Amen? Amen? So really cool story. It's a story. It's a story sermon. I'm usually not a story sermon guy, but I saw the, the, uh, the, the stool up here. Does, does Dustin sit up here and teach like this? 
You know, I taught, I taught them that. <laughs> so let's go to uh, let's go to First Samuel, First Samuel chapter twenty-two. And uh, by the way, when I preach, I, I teach, so uh, there'll be a lot of teaching. And you guys can uh, can yell out answers if you want to. Some of you are going to think every question the preacher asks, the correct answer is Jesus. So here's the first question. Who wrote the book of 1 Samuel? Samuel. Who said that? <laughs> Someone thought that was a trick question, but no, it's Samuel. Good job. Yay. You get the prize today. Good job. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel 22. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was with him was in distress, and everyone was in debt, and everyone was discontented. I like to look at that and say they had, their problems were in 3D. Problems were in 3D. You know, pastors, I don't know if Dustin does this, we like to alliterate things, you know, all with the same letter. Uh, this is a perfect sermon. It's a three-point sermon. So all those who were distressed, they were in debt, they were discontented. They gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now, there are about 400 men with him. So just to set the stage, it's an age in the scriptures like we have right now. There's a lot of chaos. Um, the king, who is the king here, Saul, uh, the king is not leading well. By the way, there's no political statements at all here, so everyone just relax, okay? But there's chaos in the land. There's almost two leaders. Some are with David, some are with Saul. Sometimes one has power, sometimes the other has power. There's just a lot of, uh, a lot of chaos. By the way, God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of tension, but he's not a God of chaos. So there will always be tension between doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing. But he's not a God of chaos. So when you look out there and you say, oh, this is crazy, know that God's plan is different. Okay, He's just not up there going, oh, hope uh, mankind can figure this out. Okay, We do have a plan to figure out whatever's happening around us. Uh, so God's taken the kingdom away from Saul, but he won't let it go. And uh, Saul wants to remain in power. So you enter David. Now remember David. He's the anointed one. In fact, when Samuel, the same Samuel that wrote, when Samuel anointed him, remember he went to Jesse and he said, God's told me one of your sons is going to be the guy that's going to be the new king. So get the boys together. We want to take a look at all the boys. And do you remember what Samuel said to himself? He said, surely this firstborn, Eliab, boy, he's head and shoulders above everyone. He looks like a king. And what did God say? God doesn't look on the outside. looks on the inside. By the way, that's our first clue. The mess that's out there isn't going to be handled by what looks good on the outside. It's going to be handled with you and me getting right with God. Now. Amen. You know, that's a pretty good amen. Every time I ask for an amen, I want you to enthusiastically give me one, okay? I didn't ask. Okay, let's, amen? amen. <laughs> All right. 
And also do you remember, he went through all the kids. And he said, no, the, the, ones, the, the, the new king is not here. And do you remember he asked the dad, Jesse, this is it? And Jesse said, no, 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 there's one more, ruddy boy, ruddy face. Well, why isn't he here? Do you understand that his own father didn't think that David was king material? Do you understand that? Hmm. Doesn't matter where you've come from. Doesn't matter who your parents are. God can use you. God's got plans for you. So, um, three kinds of men are drawn to David. They're distressed, they're in debt, and they're discontented. They're a bunch of mavericks. They're a bunch of outlaws. And they don't know where to go. They're pitiful guys. Uh, there's 400 of them. By the way, back in this time, this is not the kind of guys you build an army with. You don't build an army with discontented, especially here, indebted, because half the time you had to pay for your own stuff. You don't, you don't build an army with these kind of guys. And yet, we see throughout Scripture one thing that's in common with this and with the Lord Jesus. When Jesus was looking for his followers, he always went for those with, everyone listen, the potential to obey. He didn't look at the final polished product. You know, sometimes in the church we say, oh, we need a leader. We need someone to step in and do this and that. Who, uh, who's been a, a manager at Walmart? Or who's been a, a leader of this or that? And let's put them. Jesus always looked at the potential. And the potential was that repentance turn, the transformation that they've gone through. Is everyone listening? The reason why your pastor is such a great pastor is the change, the transformation in his life. It's not his education. It's not his lovely bride. All that adds to it, I guess. But that's that transformation, the repentance that he has undergone. And he lays himself on the altar every day. Got a great pastor. These are the guys, honestly, that you really want to build an army with. But from the outside... These guys are bums. They have nowhere to go. <laughs> what kind of guys do you build an army with? Who did Saul have? Saul had some really good-looking guys. Because Saul was a good-looking guy. He's six foot four. Head and shoulders above everybody. Saul looked the part. Guys, there's a lot of people today that are looking the part. But inside, hollow. God doesn't want to use those guys. He wants people from the heart out. In seminary, we talk about the head and the heart and the hands. God's after the heart because the hands always follow the heart. So when you read something in Scripture, when you see something, when, you, when God gives you something in your head, that's got to sink to the heart. That has to have its place in your heart. You trust, you risk, you obey, you transform in the heart. Then we'll see your hands, and they'll follow the heart. Amen? All right, a couple things about these guys. The distressed. Distressed in Hebrew means in a narrow space, in a narrow space. Have you ever been in a narrow space? Have you ever between a rock and a hard place? Uh, my grandfather, Hamilton, uh, World War II, D-Day, uh, he was a miner in, in Colorado, 
he tells the stories of so many, many, many times mining in Colorado and being in such a space that he couldn't turn over. They had to, for hundreds of feet, you couldn't turn, I know, you couldn't turn over. Um, My wife and I are having to sleep in a queen-size bed. We're we're at a hotel. We have a king-size bed at home. You know how I sleep? Sprawled out and all that. In a king-size bed, I'm having trouble because there's someone next to me. I've got to have all my space. Amen? Amen. You shouldn't have amen that one, but anyway. uh, i got to have my space. Distressed is being closed in. It's like you can't turn anywhere. Reminds me of our basketball player last night, Devin Booker, turning and getting the ball stolen. Yeah. I brought sports into the sermon. When you're in distress, how do you feel? You can't turn one way to the It's always around you. Even when you feel good for a moment, it comes back in your head. Hold it. Don't you forget. There's a problem. All these guys are walking around town. They're distressed. And someone says, what's wrong? I'm distressed. Go see David. He's in the cave of Adon. Second thing, they're in debt. They're in debt. All kinds of debt today. Money, boy, we're all in debt, right? What's the biggest debt you can have? We're indebted to God. Everything you have, your life, the next breath you take is in debt to God, is it not? Yeah, he's the man in charge. They're in debt. What do you do when you have these debt problems? Money, uh, this worldly debt, your debt to God. There's only one that can pay that debt. That's God. These guys are walking around without any money. What do I do? Go see David. Go to the cave of Adullam. Third thing, the discontented. Man, these guys were distressed, and they were in debt. They were discontented. They were unsatisfied. That's what that means. I want more. I long for more. They were bitter. They were looking for something else. By the way, these guys didn't have anything else. What does discontented in today's world mean? Oh, I need a boat. I need a bigger house. Oh, if I had this job or if I had more money, if I had a, if I had a, had a. And we're discontented. They were bitter men. Bitter in their marriages. Bitter in their jobs. Bitter in their lifestyles and their community. They were angry. They were upset. When they saw them walking around the streets and they were discontented, what did they say? Go see David in the cave of Adon. There are actually four kind of characters in here. So there's, a, there's 400 that are distressed and in debt and they're discontented. There's one other. Who was that? David. There was David, the commander. They were all looking for David to change them. And they were all willing to be changed. Do you know how we can say that? Because they left whatever home or place or wherever they were. And they said, we will throw in with David. We trust you. And what kind of a guy was David? Remember I said something about when David was anointed king when he was just a little guy. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as leader and ruler over his people. 
David, boy, he wasn't a perfect king, was he? Lots of sin in that life. And yet the one thing that we remember about David was what God said about his heart. What was it? He has a heart like mine, a heart after my own. Do you realize that no matter what you've done, by the way, I'm speaking with a huge mirror in front of me right now. No matter what you've done, my heart can be like God's. I can surrender that to the Lord. I can trust him. I can obey him. Y'all follow? Amen. By the way, that was the big amen I was waiting for. Because we've all messed up, haven't we? And yet we can go and see this guy in this cave. You know, I'm playing with David's name and, of course, God. If you're distressed and discontented, if you're in debt in all sorts of ways, you need to see David. You need to see God in that cave. Mm-mm-mm. Now, the real question is, can God really use them? Uh, that was 1 Samuel, right? Let's go to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. I'm going to take a chance because the last time I asked a question, we, we got a good answer. Uh, Samuel wrote 1 Samuel. Who wrote 2 Samuel? 2 Samuel the second. <laughs> Woo! Uh, this is uh, several years later. Okay, so we see the first thing. What are these guys? They're three things. They're in debt. They're discontented. They're distressed. They're angry, right? So what influence did David have on these guys? Let's find out in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 8 through 12. These are the names of the mighty men whom David, the chief of the captains, uh, Adino, the Esnite, because of the 800 men killed by him at one time. Yeah, there it is. Does it have the spear? By the way, it says um, Adino. I'm using his Italian name. I'm making that up. This is the first Italian we see in Scripture. Um, it's actually Adino, and his name is Spear. That's what his name means because of the 800 men that he killed at one time. Next to him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Again, kids, it doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter where you start. Joshua was the son of Nun in the Old Testament. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, where God has a plan for you. He was one of the three mighty men with David when they taunted and defied the Philistines assembled there for battle. And the men of Israel had left. They left them alone. Eleazar stood up and struck down the Philistines with his hand. He was weary and froze to the sword his hand. Y'all get this? The Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to take the spoils of the victory. Next to Eleazar was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines were gathered into an army where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the people of Israel fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the center of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Question. Last time we saw these three guys, who were they? They were in debt. They were distressed. They were discontented. They didn't have anywhere to go. And God has changed them, hasn't he? Mm. All right, look at Adino. Adino means spear. With this spear, he slew 800 Philistines. 
What was his secret? God can do anything. There's another story in Samuel, and it's about Saul's kid, Jonathan. Remember Saul's kid was leaning back with his armor bearer, a little 13 or 14-year-old kid. He's probably got a big stalk of wheat in his mouth. He looks over at the kid and he says, you know what I'm thinking? No, what are you thinking? I'm thinking God can save by many or God can save by few. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Did you see the Philistines up there? By the way, Israel's been fighting the Philistines forever. See the Philistines up there? Let's yell at them. And if they say, hold on, we'll be right down to you, then God's not in it and we'll retreat. But if we yell at them and they say, come on up here, then God's in it. And the two of us can go and do some damage. Can you imagine that? Hey, kid, 13-year-old, never been in battle. You want to you trust me on this? So what happens? Jonathan yells at them and they say, yeah, come up here and we'll show you something. And the Bible says Jonathan looked at him and said, look, see, the Lord has given us the victory. Then it says he had to scramble up the hill with a little armor bearer behind him. And they had a great victory. In fact, the, it says the armor bearer slowed like 15 or 20 people. Then the whole rest of the army that were sitting down there eating or doing whatever they were doing, they look and see the great victory and then they come and take the spoils along with them. Here's a neat thing. When Jonathan looks at the armor bearer and says, look, the Lord has given us the victory. You know what the armor bearer said back? He said, do all that's in your heart. And it's interpreted. But the original language said, look, see, when you turn to your right, I am your right hand. I am with you. Ooh, always makes me cry. I am your right hand. I'm here. I'm with you. 13-year-old kid. Man. That's a neat story, isn't it? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can use one or two guys and do whatever he wants to do? Do you believe it? Now, the right answer here in church is yes. When you have a car accident on Tuesday, when something happens to your family on Thursday, what's your answer then? Do you really believe God can use you? Hmm. That's a Dino. I love this guy. The second guy is Eleazar. Eleazar means God our helper. He's the son of Dodo. He defied the Philistines. He was left all alone. So as they retreat, he picks up, what does he pick up? His sword. Guys, do you have your sword with you this morning? Everyone let me see your sword. Let me see your sword. The Philistines are there, and he, it says he stands up and starts swinging. Guys, you swing your sword? You swing your sword. When the enemy comes to tempt you, do you swing your sword? He swung it so much, it got stuck to his hand. They had to pry his fingers off of his sword. Do we have to do that with you and the way you use your scriptures? The way your relationship with God is, is there anything that can possibly take this out of your hands? 
This is Eleazar. He swung until it froze, until the battle was done. I like this because it says he stood up and started fighting. Mm. Love it. Love it. Do you get tired? I get tired. Every day when we watch the news, I get tired. And half the time, I have to reach for my sword. It's not my hand. I need to have it in my hand. I need to have it in my hand. The enemy knows when I'm weak. The enemy knows when I don't have my sword in my hand. I need to have that like glued into me. Y'all with me? Uh, years ago, I uh, managed uh, back in Wisconsin, back in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, my friend. There's one person among us, by the way, who's a Milwaukee Bucks fan. I'm not going to tell you who it is, okay? But I'm telling you. Um, let's get them. And uh, so it was, I, I uh, ran a golf range. And I loved hitting the balls back, you know, at the end of the day. I could, I could do this all day long. It's the greatest job I ever had until now. And I hit so much. I remember waking up one night, and, like, my hand was, like, freaking out. And I had to, like, pry open my hand because I've been hitting the golf ball so much. Y'all with me? We should have that kind of a handle around the scriptures, around our relationship with the Lord. Nothing's going to pry that off. Again, I've got a big mirror in front of me. With me, most of the time, I see something pretty and flashy that Satan sends past me, and I forget God totally. Sometimes it's that easy for me to leave the Lord. What about you guys? We need to grasp onto him and never let him go. That's Eleazar. Continue to bear the fight. Continue to fight. Uh, the third guy is Shama. Shama's name means astonishment. When everyone looked at him, they all said, wow, wow, Shama. Uh, when um, a mighty man of God who took a stand. Now, we read Eliezer. Eliezer stood up and started fighting. Eliezer was pretty offensive. He stood up and started the fight. But Shama, there's a difference. There's lentils. I don't know why you'd fight over a field of lentils. Maybe they tasted like chocolate or something back then. I don't know. But he's going to fight for this field. Everyone's left, and he takes a stand. Can you see him put his feet down? Taking a stand. And the fight comes to him. One stands up and fights. The other takes a stand and fights. Sometimes we bring the fight to the enemy. Other times he brings it to us. So there are times that we need to take a stand there's times that we need to stand up and fight, both of them. Y'all with that? When trouble comes to you, that's what you need to do. I just got a few minutes. Let's hear about these guys. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 13 through 17. Pretty amazing guys, huh? Remember, we met them first. They were, dis they were uh, discontented. They were distressed. They were in debt. They were losers, and they go see David, and something changes. 2 Samuel 23, 13. Then three of the 30 chief men, these three, 
went down and came to David at harvest time in the cave of Adullam while an army of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. David had several hundred warriors. He also had 30 elite warriors. And then he also had three, these three that we're talking about. And David had a craving. And he said, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem where I grew up. Not just anywhere in Bethlehem, but from the gate. There's a well by the gate. Oh, love that water. Sure do miss it. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. That's the problem with Bethlehem. The Philistines own it. They have it. This isn't just something, man, can someone go get me a big uh, super gulp down at the 7-Eleven? No. That's an enemy territory. Hold it. There's only three of us. Hmm. So the three mighty men broke through, drew from the well of Bethlehem by the gate, carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink it, but poured it out in worship to the Lord. Have you ever wanted something really, really bad? And maybe someone makes a great sacrifice and gives it to you. Here's their commander saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to honor God with this. I would love to drink it, but this is God's, and thank you for your service. He said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should drink this. It is not the same as the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives, so they wouldn't drink it. (laughs) You understand something about these guys? These are the kind of guys we need. They would do anything to please their master. Anything. Again, speaking about myself. There's so many times I could have, should have, would have done something. And something derails me. These guys would not be derailed. The water's not outside the gate. It's inside the gate. And there's a problem with that. The enemy is standing in the gate. And the three men trust the Lord and say, we'll take it. Because we love our commander. We love our commander. Do you love your commander? You guys, that's, that's right. It's a, that's the right answer. Here in church at 1030. Do you love your commander Monday morning? We'll see. Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Y'all get this? Oh, in the heat of the battle, these guys knew we're going to do this. Um, one of uh, Dustin's classmates was Eddie McLaughlin. You guys ever hear of Eddie McLaughlin? Um, Eddie was a student uh, years ago, was with uh, Dustin in class. Um, when Eddie was 18, 18 and a half years old in Scottsdale, uh, he was running with the wrong crowd, and they were knocking off Circle K's. And one of those Circle K's ended up with Eddie shooting and killing the guy behind the counter. And it was one of those really stupid things that it was on video and he's driving his car away. I mean, he's on the, you know, it was just stupid. And uh, Eddie was sent up the river. Uh, Electric chair was what what he was going to face on death row for six or seven years. Um, 
unbeknownst to him, the lawyer started working through some things, and they noticed a couple of discrepancies in the trial. Long story short, came out that there was a mistrial, there were some issues here, and so Eddie came face to face with the judge who told Eddie, um, we're, we've got a plea bargain, you need to plead no contest, and you'll have uh, time served and then you'll be on probation. You've served six or eight years, something like that. Now, when Eddie first got to prison, he turned his life around. He found God. It wasn't one of these jailhouse uh, testimonies. He was in for life. This is the real thing. Eddie turned himself around 180 degrees. He's now leading Bible studies. He's leading men to the Lord. I mean, he's a, he's a great guy. So when the judge offered him this, no contest, he says, well, what does that mean? And the judge said, well, I could give you the legal thing, but basically says nothing happened or it didn't happen. And Eddie quickly said, it did. I did it. And they says, I understand. I understand. This is just the, the technical term we use. This is no contest. He said, yeah, but I did it. The judge even said, I understand. You're a model prisoner. You do everything that's asked of you. You're wonderful. We know that you've turned everything around. This is just a formality. He said, I did it. And the judge said, if you plead guilty, I must give you 25 years. I must. Or you can plead no contest and you're out by the weekend. And he said, I did it. So Eddie McLaughlin spent 25 years. He got out in 2001 or two, age 50, I don't know, 48, 50, something like that. Um, Eddie married in 2004 or five. I guess his kids now are 12, 10 or 12 years old. Uh, he came to seminary. And Eddie graduated, well, I guess he's still working. But Eddie is uh, working on his, uh, on his degree right now. God can change anybody. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're distressed or discontented. Or... It doesn't matter. It does matter who's in the cave with you. Are you seeking out David? Are you seeking out the Lord? Because only he can turn your life around. To where you do go get that water for your commander. Where you do have that kind of a relationship with your Lord and Savior. Amen? Man, this sermon, I'm assuming uh, most of the people in the room are, are Christians. Uh, you're believers. You've trusted Jesus as your Savior. You have that wonderful relationship with God uh, that you were created for. We're all created with one purpose. A lot of people say, what's my purpose in life? I know what it is. It's to walk with God. Adam was created to walk with God. You're created to walk with God. So I'm assuming most of you have had that wonderful relationship and uh, you're walking with the Lord. If that's you, then use this sermon this week. Remind yourself of the story and how God can use just one or two people. Uh, there could be someone else in the room that hasn't made that commitment to walk with God. Um, if that's you, if you've never had that personal relationship with Jesus, then a lot of the things I've talked about maybe don't make a lot of sense. Uh, how could I, you know, give my life to some guy in a cave and all that kind of stuff? 
oh, but once you meet Jesus, your whole life changes. If that's you, if you've never met the Lord Jesus, uh, man, there's a lot of people, Pastor Brian's one of them, and there's a bunch of others in the room, would love to talk to you about that. And, and you can change that life today and start with your relationship with Jesus. Know that we're all created with one purpose, and that's to walk with God. And so we can do that today. Guys, it's been fun. Uh, man, you've been the best group I've talked to all morning. It's been great. The worship was just incredible. So uh, thank you so much. Can I pray for you? Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for the stories of these guys and just the changes that you brought onto these fellows. And it was all about repentance. It was all about turning things over and obeying and trusting. Oh, Father, that gives us so much hope for our future. Father, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things in our lives right now that bring us down. A lot of people are hurting. There's questions. There's pain. Father, thank you for the stories today of these men that no matter what the pain was, they trusted you and you came through as you always do. Father, we love you. Know that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.